And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to The Real Investment Show. That's right, it's Monday again. Here we go, uh, back to another week. Um, of course, uh, the big news over the weekend was the Chinese spy balloon, right? So this was uh, floating across the country. And of course, China's just saying, hey, it was just a meteorological balloon. It, got, it blew off course. I mean, balloons can only go up or down. The wind does the rest of the work. So it blew off course, of course, uh, over the weekend, uh, the uh, <laughs> U.S. Air Force used a $300,000 missile to shoot down a balloon. Um, so pretty, pretty incredible, uh, actually, the weekend. We now have an official space ace. The pilot that shot the balloon down is the first pilot in history to shoot down an object near space. So, <laughs> so an official space ace. Anyway, the, the big question, of course, is the market like a Chinese balloon? Because this has been something that's been quite fascinating ever since the beginning. Now, just last year, right, everybody's convinced the market's going to crash. We're going to have a bear market, a recession, so forth and so on. And since the beginning of the year, the S&P is up seven, over 7%. The NASDAQ is up over 14% for the year so far. So just a terrific loft of asset prices ever since the beginning of the year. Um, a lot of this in the most speculative beaten up companies, uh, you know, and not surprising kind of coming out of that bear market of last year, that I should say a correction because we had a correction last year, came out of that and very nicely at the beginning of this year. Question is, is what's gonna shoot it down? That's the, that's the big concern here, right? Jobs report on Friday, exceptionally strong, coming in 500,000 jobs, and that was just an amazing number. Unemployment fell to a near record low, lowest level of unemployment since 1969. So first thing economists come out and say is that, you know, there's actually no sign of a recession anywhere in sight. Of course, the White House taking some victory laps on the jobs report now. The problem with the jobs report is it was all basically massive revisions. Um, you know, we uh, every year we go back and revise data. Uh, January is subject to very, very large annual revisions. And, and so again, later this year, we're gonna get some other revisions that go back to last year as well. So, um, you know, this is all gonna kind of work itself out, but nonetheless, very big uh, jobs number on Friday. Here's the one thing about jobs numbers, or I should say the unemployment rate in particular, very low unemployment. If you go take a look at the unemployment rate as a chart, you know, the, the interesting dichotomy right now is that a lot of the median analysts say, well, there's, there's no risk of a recession here when you have unemployment at this such a low level. I mean, how could you have a recession? Certainly seems logical. Yet, if you go look at a chart of the unemployment rate, very low unemployment rates occur when? Right before a recession. Why? Because everything is as good as it can get. What else happens when you have very low unemployment? You have a tight labor market that raises operating costs for companies that are having to pay more wages, more benefits, those type of things. Um, and so this always typically precedes a slowdown in the economy. Of course, match that with the Fed hiking rates. And at the same time, you're looking at a slower economic environment later on this year, potentially. So again, very low unemployment rate, something to think about. 
not from the terms of it being exceptionally bullish, it's actually kind of a pre-recessionary indicator. Just kind of, the, I know it doesn't make sense. It seems like a conundrum, you know, how could you have very low unemployment be in a recession? But things are basically as good as they can get economically. Now, I know that's hard to believe considering, you know, a lot of the other data that's floating around. Um, but we are seeing improvement. Manufacturing, uh, the sorry, the ISM services index last week jumped from contractionary territory to 55, right? A massive jump in services. Obviously, that led between that and the jobs report that's led to upper revisions for expectations for GDP for quarter one um, is also leading for more upward revisions in some of the other data. So again, you know, just there's there's some things that are going on here, certainly providing a boost to asset prices well into earnings season. Earnings have not been terrible. Um, we still have a fairly decent beat rate. Not surprising, though, of course, as we've talked about before. You know, we keep lower, we lower the estimates until companies can beat the estimates. But earnings beats have been coming in about line with history. Um, revenue, though, however, what happens at the top line has been a bit disappointing. But that's not really deterred much of the bulls here who continue to kind of chase this market higher. And as we talked about before, there's a real interesting situation here of FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. You know, last year, markets really kind of struggled all year long. But every time that there was a hint that the Fed might be close to changing their direction in terms of interest rates, the market would take off running on this fear of missing out on the Fed pivot. Everybody's trying to catch the bottom, right? I want to be the guy that bought the bottom of the market. So I'm afraid of missing out when the Fed does actually pivot. I'm afraid of missing out. Well, that low, that exceptionally low unemployment rate and tight labor market is not going to get the Fed to pivot anytime soon. In fact, markets started pricing in a now two more rate hikes this year. So the Fed is still going to be hiking rates, tightening monetary policy, albeit at a slower pace. But again, that's something that is going to impact the economy later on this year. So it's very interesting that while the markets are running up right now, and of course investors chasing the markets here because of expecting the Fed to pivot and to pause and do all these other things, there's a lot of data here that suggests, and again, just the size of the move in and of itself, the market has already put in basically a year's worth of moves historically in one month. So normally the market grows at six, seven, eight percent a year. You've already, you're almost 8%, uh, almost 8% now on the S&P since the beginning of the year. So pretty much just sell everything, go home for the year. You've got your return locked up for the year. Of course, you won't do that. But <laughs> this, is, this is the way to kind of think about it. But markets have priced in a lot. Now, look, we're very deviated from the means. Now, good news is, of course, on Friday, the 50-day moving average did cross above the 200-day moving average. So now we have that official golden cross in place. That is also technically a bullish sign, but markets very deviated. Expect some weakness here today. Uh, markets are looking to point down a little bit at the open, but I kind of expect some sloppy trade here over the next week or so um, as we try to work off some of this really kind of overbought condition. Also, our MACD signal, which has been a very good indicator to keep you kind of in, you know, on the right side of the market. Still remains on a buy signal, but is beginning to soften here. So that may, a little bit of weakness in the market, we're likely going to see that signal trigger suggesting a little bit more weaker price action potentially over the next month or so. We'll let you know when we get there. But again, those are kind of some of the things that are working uh, right now in the market. So again, just kind of pay attention to kind of what's going on. You know, the world is not coming to an end despite <laughs> the headlines of, and, and some of the commentary. I must have gotten 500 emails over the weekend. <laughs> 
over a Jim Rickards interview that went out suggesting that the world was about to crash. That's not going to happen. But nonetheless, you know, we have gone very far very quickly. So expect a bit of a pullback here and try to keep your views a little bit balanced. You know, if you go listen to, you know, a really bearish interview, go listen to a kind of a bullish interview, keep your focus on the ball, right? The ball's what's happening in the market. I should say, keep your focus on the balloon right now, which is the market. <laughs> that is rising higher. Again, the question is that somebody will shoot it down eventually. Just don't know what it's going to be. But again here, good time to take a little bit of profit, raise a little bit of cash, kind of rebalance the risk in your portfolio. Never hurts to do that when you get this kind of extended from means. Uh, just kind of pull back a little bit, let the market come back to you. That'll give you a better opportunity to put some money to work. So a couple of things real quick. Housekeeping newsletter is out on the website realinvestmentadvice.com, just go to the invest, uh, just go to realinvestmentadvice.com, click on the insights tab, get our latest newsletter. Make sure you subscribe to that. Our daily commentary will be out this morning at 7.30. Make sure you subscribe to that. We send it right to your email box, quick read, market trading updates, et cetera, all in that daily market commentary. We keep you up to date on the markets and what's moving markets every single morning. And of course, subscribe to our Before the Bell channel. That's our three minutes on the markets. Comes out every morning at 7.30. Separate channel now though. So subscribe to that at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real investment show so uh, over the weekend um, my wife had to go and spend the afternoon with her her aunt for her aunt's birthday and I, I, I lucked out of this this trip because I'd write the newsletter this weekend. But so there's a bit of a backstory here. Um, I'm gonna tell you why I almost got in a wreck this weekend. Yeah. So <laughs> bit of backstory is last summer um, my wife and I wanted to get away for the weekend. You know we had a lot of stuff going on, got a little bit of stress going on, so we said we wanted to get away from the weekend. So we rented a beach house down in Galveston, just wanted to get away for a couple of days, take the dogs, go down, and relax. Well, um, whenever we go to do something, my, my wife always tends to rattle it off to her mom, who then invites the entire family, right? So, you know, our quiet little getaway weekend just to de-stress was quickly interrupted by the fact that her entire family is now going to come down and freeload, I'm sorry, uh, join us, um, you know, at the beach house in Galveston. So I've, I've, I complained to my wife about it. I was like, look, I said, this was supposed to be a weekend to, to kind of de-stress and Every time your your brothers show up, it's it's always drama, right? It's it's always some form of drama. She is very mad at me, right? She got I mean, she was very mad at me. She was like, You just don't want to spend time with my family and you know that whole story, right? It's not it at all. I just didn't want drama. And it's always drama. It's always drama. So I was like, fine, honey, whatever. So we went. And of course, it was drama 
all weekend. And so, but you know, being the good doting husband, I shut up and didn't say anything about it from then on. And since then, we've had other family gatherings and I've said nothing, right? And every single time it's drama of some sort. And so this weekend, my wife has to see, you know, it's my, my, my aunt's birthday. So we're going to go down to, to Burton and we're going to have this birthday dinner and, you know, lunch. And then I'll be back, you know, later afternoon. And I'm like, sweet day to myself. I don't say anything about anything. So <laughs> I have to take her in the morning uh, to go and get her car picked up. She was having break, her brake work, break, some brake work redone on it. And uh, she starts complaining about the fact that now her brothers are going to show up at this lunch, this, you know, birthday luncheon. And all of a sudden, her aunt isn't even going to show up. Her aunt is somewhere else <laughs> and isn't even going to be there. And she's like, I don't even know why I'm going. And, you know, it's always just going to be drama when brothers show up. And I go, is this the point? And my wife stops me right there. And she says, and if you want to finish that sentence of saying, is this the time that you're right? <laughs> you know, just be afraid you're going to sleep on the couch for the next six months. Um, and, of course, she went, and it was drama. <laughs> So she will still not admit that I'm right, but again, you know, part of being a man, right? <laughs> Just drama begets drama. <laughs> exactly. But I was laughing when, when she's telling me this whole drama, I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard. I'm crying. And I literally almost wrecked my truck while we were driving because <laughs> I couldn't see. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> Anyway, a little bit of indication. It doesn't happen often in my household, but every now and then. Red letter day. Yes, exactly. Um, okay, look, a few things to get into this morning. Um, we talked about, you know, some, some issues that are, that are going on. And again, you know, over the weekend, apparently there's a video of Jim Rickards running around. And, you know, everybody's panicking over this video because pretty much just doom and gloom forecast you know the problem is Jim Rickards is and I, I, I like Jim Rickards great guy um, he's just been bearish for 10 years so it, you know the point is is that there's always a crisis coming and yet it hasn't quite matured yet so as we've talked about before one of the problems with bearish forecast is that you can stay out of the market for too long expecting a worst possible outcome and the worst outcomes generally never happen they're great for making headlines they're great for getting videos and views and clicks and those type of things but what you're looking for is for what is the market doing now and how's the market going to respond to these things and what is normally the case historically is that you know the worst outcomes generally don't happen because the economy adjust for things as things proceed and, and nothing just happens overnight. Now, you know, th there are things that can happen which can certainly derail economic activity, like, you know, shutting down an economy artificially and just saying nobody can go to work. That, that creates very big economic pain very quickly. But given a normal economic environment where the economy is left alone to its own devices, 
the worst possible outcomes generally don't happen because the economy begins to adjust for whatever that is. And markets begin to price in for the worst possible outcomes. And so they go, well, that's that's what we think the worst is going to be. And they, they, they adjust for that. And so that's why betting on those outcomes typically work out not to be a good position to be in and, and it'll wind up keeping you out of the markets for way too long because then you get yourself caught in the psychological loop of this is the worst possible outcome. The markets rally. Well, now that the market's rallying, it's just it's being stupid. So I'm not going to buy into this rally because the worst possible outcome is coming. And then the market keeps going. And then you say, well, well, maybe the worst possible outcome isn't going to happen, but the market's already run too far, so I can't buy it here. Then the market keeps going up, so forth and so on. And you keep making these excuses why you can't invest in the markets because it's overvalued, it's moved too far, whatever it is, you've missed the boat. And then you wind up just being out of the markets for way too long. And, you know, Danny and I and Richard have talked about here before on the show is that, you know, we meet with people all the time that have been out of the market since 2009. They've been sitting in cash. And yes, they avoided the 50% decline, but they missed the 400% advance. So which was worse? So, you know, these are the things that we have to take into account as we invest in the markets. And look, I'm not saying that there's no risk in the markets, but it's investing. Investing is about risk. Investing is about managing risk. And if you don't take on the risk, you can't make money. There's always a risk, and there's always a risk of loss. Hopefully, we win more than we lose, but there's always a risk. But the problem with betting on the worst possible outcomes is like telling your wife that you were right. <laughs> you never heard those words, I told you so. <laughs> because those tend to have worst possible outcomes for you. So again, this is this is one of the things, and this is a challenge that we're going to have to work with, you know, over the course of the next several months. There is things that are occurring in the markets that certainly don't make any sense. Again, the markets up, the Nasdaq's up over fourteen percent for the year so far already. I mean, that's that's a huge gain. So. We've had quite a bit of first order data coming in. Like again, ISM services up to 55, you know, employment, 500,000 jobs. Jolt's data continues to be strong. Uh, the employment cost index is continuing to weaken. That's bringing down some of those inflationary pressures that's supportive for businesses, for earnings. So there is a potential here if the market, if the S&P, for an example, kind of chops its way higher to around 4,300. Then you're like, there's no way that's going to happen. Well, it doesn't get you back to where you were at the January, you know, January 2022 peak, but it's a fairly big rally from the October lows. And again, this is where, as investors, we go, what do we do with this? How do I navigate this? And this is, you know, why we talk so much about technicals. 
on the show. No, we're not technical traders at all. We're fundamentals. We, we love to buy fundamentally good quality companies, and we like holding them for a really long time. But that also doesn't mean that we're just blindly riding the markets up and down either. We, and we talk often about we took profits in this, we trimmed this back, we sold, you know, we got stopped out of this position. Those things happen as part of portfolio management. But the trend is to try to hold positions that we like long term for years. As long as they're good, fundamentally sound companies. They don't always work right away, but the goal is that over time, the fundamentals will pay for themselves. And again, this is one of the harder challenges of the markets, but this is why an overlay of some, of some basic technical analysis can help you kind of determine when the market is trending positively, when things are occurring, and then when things are also getting very overbought, as they are now. And so we're probably due for a bit of, a, and I wrote in this past weekend's newsletter, Probably do for a, a bit of a pullback here. Take some profits. When the market gets oversold, you can put those profits back to work. But that's just kind of the process of navigating markets and, and managing risk. So that certainly, though, flies into the face of a lot of these videos that are running around talking about you know, the end of the world is coming and everything's going to crash and, you know, there's, you just, you, you need to be in, in cash and whatever. It's okay. You can, you can choose that. Odds are it's going to be very frustrating because again, markets typically don't evolve into the worst possible outcomes. All right, quick break, come back. Got some other stuff to get into this morning. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com is your partner cheating on you Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So it's uh, 6.33. You know, that uh, talking a little bit about, you know, worst possible outcomes. And this is, you know, kind of in reference to, like I said, I just got a phenomenal amount of emails over the weekend and, um, I always know when there's some video running around because I just get a ton of emails with, you know, kind of end the end of the world scenarios. 
And so I tracked this back down. I said, why am I getting all these emails? So I started kind of backtracking some of the emails and, and tracked back to a Jim Rickers video that came out over the weekend. And, you know, it's gotten a lot, it's gotten a lot of attention on the Internet because it's very doom and gloom, right? And, and again, it's just, as I was saying in the last segment, those things tend not to occur. And it's kind of interesting because there's also been quite a bit of commentary going around lately about the housing crash, right? Housing has to crash and, you know, this is, you know, interest rates are up. Uh, I'll tell you, my wife and I are trying to buy a house. We're renting right now. We sold our house last July. We told you the story. And my wife and I have been out looking for houses. We put three bids on three houses and we were outbid on every house. And we're not going to, you know, we're not going to get into a bidding war. You know, this is our, this, every time we make an offer, it's our best and final. And then they always come back and go, we have another offer that's, we're looking at, you know, give me a, a you need to come in with a higher offer. I'm like, nope, <laughs> that's our offer. But we've been outbid three times. In fact, the house came on the market, um, just as a good example, listed on Friday, sold on Saturday. So just, I mean, so it's interesting. There are pockets where houses are sitting on the markets longer, but there are areas where there is no housing crash going on. So this is, but and the reason I tell you this is that, you know, this is why you have to be careful with things. And, you know, for instance, if you're looking for a house, as an example, like we are, it's very location specific. So yes, while we could have a national decline in housing prices and while we could have a fall off in prices in areas like in California, you know, specific, specifically New York, Florida, some of the places where prices really got out of control. In areas where there is a limited amount of land, there can't, you can't build any new houses, you know, those type of things, the areas that are landlocked for one reason or the other, you know, there's no housing problem there, right? It's a supply-demand game. And there's still just a, there is still just a, crap load of cash floating around the markets. There is a lot of money that's out there because, you know, these offers that are beating us out are all, we're all cash and they're all cash. So, I mean, it's, it's all cash offers competing on all cash offers. And because it's just the way the market is right now. But that's also going to cushion some of the end of the world type scenarios. And that's my point is that You've got to be careful with these end-of-the-world scenarios because those typically, as I said, don't tend to happen. However, now, having said that, doesn't mean that the market can't pull back. We What we have right now going on is quite interesting in the markets. And again, as I said earlier, the S&P's up 7.7% for the year. The Nasdaq's up 14.7% for the year already. Investors are chasing the markets in what is clearly a case of FOMO. And there's data that supports that. We had record call option volume on Friday. So there's a, we, we've written some articles that are on our website. Um, if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com and in the search bar, type in the letter zero, DTE. It's zero days to expiration. This is the new phenomenon that's going on in the markets where people are buying options with less than one day to maturity which are creating all kinds of market volatility. But that's why you're seeing these days where the market's up 3% on these options expiration days. 
But the point is, is that you've got a clear case of investors that are now no longer focusing on fundamentals at all. It is simply the Fed's going to pause. I need to be in the markets because when the Fed pauses or potentially cuts rates, then markets always rally. And I don't want to miss the bottom. This is the fear of missing out on the bottom, as I said earlier. But, you know, while the market's pricing in the end of rate hikes for the cycle, and should I dare say trying to price in rate cuts at some point. Again, when the Fed's cutting rates, there's nothing good going on if they're cutting rates. They just don't cut rates because. But this idea has really fostered this big move in the markets, and, and corporate fundamentals really don't support the rally in the markets. Perfect set data. I'm going to read this to you. 70% of S&P 500 companies have reported a positive EPS surprise for the fourth quarter. Now, remember, we've cut earnings dramatically since June of last year. S&P 500 companies are beating EPS estimates by the fourth quarter by only 0.6% in aggregate, just shy of the five-year average of 86 Fourth quarter earnings are tracking down about 5.3%. Uh, yes, down. So earnings are declining by 5.3%, yet we're all afraid of missing the markets and we're running markets up, which what does that translate to is the fact that you have a market that is running up on valuation expansion alone because earnings are declining. In fact, right now, CAPE trailing valuations are now back to 29 times earnings. That's not cheap by any measure. Last week, Apple's earnings, they really stunk. <laughs> Stock was up 3%. Um, another bad quarter from Amazon. Google, Flash Alphabet, whatever you want to call them, um, you know, had a pretty lame quarter on the results of YouTube. Meta's quarter, stock had a huge advance. Stock was up 20% on Meta's, but their report was actually very poor quality. Earnings badly missed what the markets were expecting. The only thing that popped them was the deep cuts that they had taken uh, to cut the and the expense guidance cuts that they had for 2023. The commentary from a lot of corporate executives are certainly not rah-rah either. Forward outlooks have been pretty dismal. Brian Monahan, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, Diamond, uh, Jamie Diamond, others talking about a recession this year. Banks stocking up for increasing loan loss reserves for a recession. Goldman Sachs. So... It's interesting that despite the outlook for the markets, investors are running up prices anyway. And again, it's that fear of missing out, right? It's just, I can't, I don't want to miss the bottom. And so we've kind of run the markets up so much. Again, technically very overbought. The underlying corporate fundamentals really don't support the run-up in price, which suggests that 
you know, we're going to have another corrective phase at some point. Now, that doesn't mean that the markets are going to crash, but, you know, we could have, you know, 5% decline in the markets. We could wind up flat for the year at some point this year. That's what I'm saying, you know, take some profits, take advantage of this rally, take a little bit of profit out of your investments and, and wait for the next opportunity to put that cash back to work. You know, in the short term, beyond the FOMO and chasing momentum, it's hard to see fundamental reasons for stocks to keep pushing higher. It doesn't mean they can't. And that's the challenge that we've got to work through. But again, you know, the reason I tell you this is to I want to also offset that view that the world economically is about to end. Dollar is going to go to zero. The economy is going to crash. It's going to be, you know, the last of us roaming around the streets, scrapping for food. It's not going to be that. Starbucks, by the way, just reported their three best retail sales days ever last week. So apparently people are not so strapped they can't afford $6 cups of latte. I may not eat, but I'm going to have my damn latte. That's all I'm saying. But that's the point. You know, separate out what's happening. This week we've got, you know, another good kind of indicator. Chipotle Mexican Group is going to report earnings out today. Here's a company, by the way, that makes burritos that trades at 60 times earnings. Now... That's expensive, no matter, that's one expensive burrito. No matter how you want to, to cut that burrito, 60 times earnings is a lot for a, a restaurant. But they're going to report earnings this week. And look, this is, you know, when you start talking about the retail consumer, burritos are it, baby. I mean, if you can go out and afford a burrito, then you must be doing okay. But, you know, these are the things that, again, to kind of pay attention to, see what the market's telling you versus what a lot of these doom and gloom videos are telling you. We've got, we, we can't dismiss those entirely. Again, you know, I'm not saying Jim Rickards is wrong. I'm just saying markets tend to price things in to occur. So, you know, if something is going to happen, Yes, the markets are going to correct, and we need to be aware of that. But we also don't want to be living in a bunker, and we miss out on the opportunities to make money when we have those opportunities to do so. All right, we'll be right back. We're going to wrap up the show. Don't go away. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Real Investment Show. 
you know, we've talked about before on the show. I remember when Brent will remember this when uh, we were first started doing the, the radio show. I guess a couple of couple of years ago over here. Um, it was right when Beyond Meat was just really coming out, and there was this whole big push to. I shouldn't say it was longer than a couple of years ago. It was like five years ago. Yeah. Um, there was a whole big push. You know, everybody was like, "Oh, we got to." You know, everybody's going to stop eating meat, and everybody's going to eat. You know, eat Beyond Meat because it's going to be the new thing. And you know, stock surges, and everybody's piling into the stock to chase the stock higher. And we were on the show going, "This is ridiculous because this is never going to work out, right?" And and again, you know, there's just not that many vegans in the world again if you take a look at statistics um there was an interesting poll out just recently um by yougov and it just goes to show people's misperceptions about things um because of the media because of what happens on social media what happens in the media etc and like for instance one of the polls asked the poll asked a lot of different questions they go what do you think the percentage of these groups are in america right so african-americans people thought they make up like 50 percent of the population reality is like 13. um the transgender lbgtq um, population people thought that made up like 30 percent of the population it's two so there's this perception that these very small minority groups because we're bending over backwards to accommodate for a variety of things, religious and personal affiliations and all this, right? So we're, we're making all these, you know, changes in the world to accommodate these very small groups of people. And it's so public on the, the social media and, 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 and media in general that we just get this perception it must be a very large group of people i mean we wouldn't be going out of our way to do all this for such a very small group of people but yet we are right and it's the same thing with this whole kind of vegan movement with beyond meat is because and this was what was interesting at the time is that in order for beyond meat to be profitable at the valuations that, that they were projected basically everybody in the u.s would have to be vegan and that's just not going to happen because i can tell you one guy that's not going <laughs> to look I, I i like a good veggie burger i do i tell you what bex prime has one here in houston bex prime has probably one of the best veggie burgers i've ever had right really great and i've had veggie burgers at a lot of other places too because i do try to watch what i eat so you know i try to limit my red meat consumption to some degree i eat a lot of chicken a lot of fish but i'm not giving up a good steak because when my wife grills steak that's my one night that you i guaranteed there's no diet going on when my wife grills a good steak by the way costco has the best steaks but this was the problem. And then, of course, you know, this really came to light when <laughs> you went to the store during the pandemic. Remember the pandemic shut down and you went to the store and you couldn't find any food because all the shelves were bare. But the one shelves that always had a lot of food on it, beyond meat. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wanted it. It's interesting. So report out today by Axios. After years of hype, the tide is turning against the first generation of plant-based protein burgers. In a blow to vegans worldwide. Last year, both companies, this is uh, both Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods, um, 
were riding high with prime placement on supermarket shelves and Burger King even adding the Impossible Whopper to its menu. Impossible Meat even began to branch out looking to expand offerings to highly processed meals such as chicken nuggets and sausages. Sales have since collapsed. However, which according to the recent Bloomberg report, has resulted in Impossible Foods planning to lay off around 20% of its workers. This is a quote from uh, Bloomberg. Impossible Foods, Inc., the maker of meatless burgers and sausages, is preparing to cut 20% of its staff, according to a person familiar with the matter. Impossible Foods also offer voluntary separation packages. Beyond Meat's uh, sales have fallen over 22% in the third quarter of 2022 alone. So you lost a fifth of your sales in one quarter. As the company is preparing to similarly cut 20% of its workers, the company has also lost several key executives. According to the report, supermarket sales are down 15% year over year, while orders in restaurants have dropped by 9%. And just recently, of course, there's been several restaurants that have now dropped those menu options um, off their menus because of lack of demand. And this is always the risk, right? Um, so when Burger King was going to do the Impossible Whopper, sounded great. But it's all dependent upon sales. You know, they can have this menu item, and if nobody wants it, they're going to take it off the menu. And so that's what's happening at a lot of these restaurants where these sales, and again, in order to justify taking up a menu space, menu item space, and to stock that inventory and have that available, that costs money. And so if nobody's ordering it, that eats into profitability. So those items have to go at some point. And that's, and that's what we're seeing happen. But again, this is the problem with, you know, there's nothing wrong, uh, you know, um, Morningstar, which is some of my wife's kind of favorite, and, and they make a they make an excellent vegetarian sausage. Um, they also make a really good black bean burger, etc. So if you if you want to add some vegan options to your diet, Morningstar makes some great stuff, right? You don't ever hear about it, but they make some great stuff. Um, but again. It's not something that you can base your entire company around. Right? You've got to have other things. You know, the, this has got to be a product line within a other, you know, within multiple other product lines that are making you a lot more of your profit margins because these are just kind of low profit margin, low demand items. Nothing wrong with offering them, but it's really hard to justify a company and beyond meat at the time when they first IPO'd out, stock ran off to the moon. This was going to be you know, the next, you know, dominant thing in the marketplace. This was going to be the game changer. And people were paying hundreds of times earnings and, and multiple times price to sales for a company whose sales would never mature to actually justify those valuations because there just weren't that many people in the country that were going to be eating those options and, and so, uh, or, or, or eating that, that, uh, that product. You just couldn't sell enough of it to enough people. And this is so when it so when it comes to investing, these are always the things to remember. You know, these companies that come out with a very specific product to a very specific niche group of people, it has limited upside. And so be careful what you pay for these companies. You know, this is one of the arguments on Tesla for a long time uh, when the stock was just running up to the moon. You know, the company would have to sell an electric car to every person on the planet. And we were saying back then, it's like, that's not possible. 
that's not going to happen because other competitors are going to come into the markets and eat into that market share. So valuations, while they may not seem to matter in the short term, and again, and look, if you're just trading a stock, right, and you 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 know you buy an IPO of some company that's that's really hot, and it's taken off, momentum will carry that stock for a while. Just trade it; it's fine. You, know, you can trade stocks like that that are running a momentum. Just don't forget to sell them, right? Don't start taking a trading opportunity that's based on momentum and market hype, and then try to build a unreliable fundamental argument for way overpaying for that investment because that never works out well. Always, you know, again, it's okay to speculate. Just understand what you're doing and make sure it remains a speculation and treat it accordingly. Measure your risk size, measure your bet size, how much position you take in it, and when you sell it. If you're buying a company for fundamentals, that's something that you can hold longer term catch a dividend from while you're waiting for it to pay off. The fundamental support, long-term price appreciation over time may not go straight up, but it's going to gradually just kind of grind itself higher over time because of its fundamental growth trends, etc. Two very different ways of managing money, and doesn't mean you can't do both. Just make sure that you separate both for exactly what they are and understand the difference. And the problem for most investors is, is they forget. <laughs> they forget it's easy to buy stuff. They just forget to sell it. And that's the that's the hard part. That's the tricky part of managing money longer term. All right. Um, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest um, newsletter is out on the website. Make sure you subscribe. We email it to you every Saturday. Um, also, our daily market commentary will be out 730 this morning. If you subscribe to that, different email list. We'll email you that list as well. Every morning you'll get a, uh, a daily market commentary. Quick read, about three minutes. Gives you a little bit of a market update, a couple of interesting tidbits, tells you what's going on, earnings, economy, economic reports, et cetera, all coming out. Gives you a good little snapshot of the day. And, of course, make sure you subscribe to our new Before the Bell channel. That's our three minutes on markets and money. It's now called Before the Bell. comes out at 730 in the morning. And that's a little three-minute video gets you up to date on what's happening with the markets, where we're headed to next, overbought, oversold, what should be doing with uh, your positioning. We talk about all that every single morning uh, on Before the Bell. So it's all at the website, all different subscriptions. Subscribe to what you want. Subscribe, don't subscribe to the other stuff you don't want. doesn't matter. But it's all there for you. <laughs> subscribe to all of it. It's all free. Subscribe to all of it. We'll keep you up to date on you and your money. Uh, in the meantime... Be sure and send me an email. Um, and while you're at the website, if you've got a question, need help with something, always happy to do it. Realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow, of course, uh, for Tuesday. We'll see what the market does today. Looks to be opening a little bit weaker. Dow futures are down about 150 points. Been recovering a little bit this morning. Uh, S&P and NASDAQ also pointing lower after last week's pretty good rally. Again, markets overbought, bit of a sell-off here, not surprising at all. But we'll keep you up to date. I'll talk more about it tomorrow right here on the next edition of The Real Investment Show. Have a great day.